Well, I think I think we need to be praying for Peter Roberts. Peter is a huge Canucks fan. I don't know if the man can even preach this morning. I'm guessing that he's 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 curled up in a ball somewhere, and uh, and his congregation is probably trying to find him. So I, I I was hoping he could be here, and we could just uh, encourage him and pray for him. But he you know he's he's got his own responsibilities. So hopefully throughout the day he's going to be okay. But be be praying for Peter. I think he needs us. There might be somebody else here who needs us this morning, so we're praying for you too, if you happen to be a Canucks fan. On the other hand, if you happen to be a Flames fan, and I see some in the audience this morning, then it's a, it's a day for rejoicing. <laughs> Indeed. For those of you who are from the United States, by the way, and who don't get the connection between Canada and hockey, it's almost religion. Okay? Almost. We have been looking at a study of the uh, kingdom of God, and today we're going to uh, continue that study. And I want to start today with a quiz. It's a, it's a test. It's not like the book of life or anything like that that you lose out on if you, if you mess up on the test. But we're going to nonetheless have a quiz, and it starts with a question. Is the kingdom of God now present, or is it still to come? Yes. Absolutely. The answer is yes. The answer is both. We've been looking at that and the fact that the kingdom is definitely still to come and yet there's something about the kingdom that is already present indeed. Is the kingdom of God best thought of as a place or a group of people or as a presence and power? And I I would say, yeah, I think that there's definitely an emphasis there on the presence and power of the kingdom in the New Testament. It does include a people for sure. But God's presence and power is even more so the kingdom of God. In fact, we've looked at the fact that the, the word kingdom really stands for or, or represents the notion of presence or power of God more than anything else. Who is best thought of as the king? The father, the son, or the spirit? And that's kind of one of those yes answers again. Yeah, it's all three are in one sense the one who is the king. And, and the Father and the Son are both specifically referred to in the New Testament as the king, and of course the Spirit is both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. When Jesus preached the good news, what was he preaching about? And we've looked at several passages now that talk about how Jesus was out preaching the good news, but specifically for Jesus, the good news is the good news of the kingdom. And he says that in numerous places. Jesus was about preaching the kingdom of God. Which did Jesus mention far more? The forgiveness of sins that he would offer the cross, uh, offer on the cross or the present and coming kingdom of God? And of course, Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God way more. In fact, I, I think I said last week, I, I would say almost maybe 10 times as, more, as many times the kingdom of God is mentioned as the forgiveness of sins by Jesus himself specifically. So there's a, a huge difference there. It's just interesting that Jesus focused on the kingdom of God. And of course, that's not to say that he didn't come to forgive sins. He, of course, did. Ed did a great job of talking about that at the Lord's Supper. But the kingdom of God was the center of the ministry and the preaching of Jesus. Why did Jesus say that the time was fulfilled with his coming? Because the kingdom of God is at hand, like our banner says up there. And this is so much, again, the focus that we have for this morning. And then, of the four Western Canadian NHL teams, which one is still in the playoffs and therefore king of hockey in Western Canada? And this is a serious question that we need to answer this morning. There are some of you who might be unbelievers, uh, but, but I, I think 
I think that the testimony has been proven true, and we now understand the truth. There are four teams in Western Canada, and three of them are not in the Stanley Cup playoffs any longer. But there is one that is. We'll move on. The last of the real questions there is where we want to spend our time for the next few minutes, focusing on what the New Testament says about the presence of the kingdom, which we've already said this morning is here and at the same time still to come. And it's interesting, it may surprise you to hear when the New Testament says that the kingdom of God actually starts to make its presence felt. Like Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. And it looks as though that would be the start of the kingdom of God and the proclamation about uh, what God is doing with this new kingdom. And I want to show you something this morning that actually says something different. And this is interesting. When did the kingdom of God specifically begin to be proclaimed and begin to have an impact in our world? Now, in some sense, I suppose we could say that the kingdom of God is already present in the Old Testament. Like we already have a king, we already have a people, the children of Israel, there's already a nation there over which he rules. There are some ways in which there's this people who's responding to God and trying to live out life as the children of God in the Old Testament. We already have things like the Spirit of God and some level is still is already present in the Old Testament. There's already some level of forgiveness of sins that's already there in the Old Testament. So there's elements of the kingdom that are already present in the Old Testament. But I think all of us would say that something new and drastic and different happens with the coming of Jesus. And so the Spirit comes in a radical new way with Christ. Forgiveness of sins now is perpetual and comes with the strength and the power of the death of Jesus on the cross, which is different than before. So there's lots of ways in which things have changed dramatically with the coming of Jesus. But when did all of that begin? And I'll give you a hint. It's not with Mark 1.15, even though that's right at the beginning of the gospel. Now, I want you instead to turn to Matthew chapter 11 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 11. And this to me seems very interesting. Exactly when the kingdom begins to be proclaimed. And even after the first six or seven verses here, you might think, okay, it really is coming with Jesus. But let me show you something that I think is fascinating. Chapter 11, verse 1 of Matthew. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And of course, what he's teaching and preaching is the kingdom of God. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And that is really a strange question because John, as early as the womb, already knew who the Messiah was. So it's strange that he would now be asking. I can only guess that the kind of Messiah that Jesus was, was totally throwing him off. John didn't know what to do with the kind of Messiah that Jesus was presenting here. So Jesus replies and says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And clearly, Jesus is thinking that some may well fall away, and he doesn't want them to. I'm a different kind of Messiah. Don't fall away on account of me. And that's interesting. Now, it doesn't say the word specifically there, kingdom, but this is kingdom stuff that's going on. 
Something new and different, Jesus says, is here. And it's with me that it's different. I'm doing these things. I'm healing the blind. I'm changing life as it is as we know it. That's the kingdom. Now look at verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way for you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And now watch these words. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. That is interesting. When did the kingdom begin to show itself in this new dramatic way that's coming with Messiah? It's not just with the preaching of Jesus. It actually comes with the preaching of John the Baptist. And Jesus says this kingdom now is forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it, even since the days of John the Baptist. Well, all of a sudden, the kingdom starts to, if we've got some kind of nailed down idea of what we think it is, it begins to look a little bit fuzzy on the edges. And what is all of this part about forceful men lay hold of it? It's forcefully advancing. Well, I think all of that has to do with the fact that this is something radical and new and different and earth shattering. Last week, I used the image of the earthquake. How do you describe the kingdom? It's like an earthquake. Everything gets shaken because of the kingdom. All of our lives are different because of the presence of the coming of the kingdom. And what Jesus says is that already with John, something is drastically different. Things are changing. Now I want you to remember for a moment what it is that John did. What did John do when he came? John the Baptist went around preaching. Looking a lot different than everybody else took on the persona of a prophet, for sure. And what did John preach? Well, he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who come out to him, he says, you brood of vipers, who has called you to flee from the coming wrath? And it's a pretty stern message. Maybe forceful men in the sense that they have some real soul-searching to do. Something needs to take place in their lives, which is difficult, need to respond to John's preaching. And so he preaches, and he asks people to repent. He tells them that there's going to be forgiveness of sins, and they need to be baptized. Life change needs to take place. As the kingdom comes, transformation needs to be present. And then he says, and there is one coming after me. And what does he say about the one who's coming after him? He's so great, I can't stoop down and untie his sandals. And when he comes, he's going to bring the Holy Spirit. And he's going to bring fire, which is an image for judgment. 
And so Jesus already is in one sense present in the preaching of John the Baptist. John is already bringing before the people the drastic new changes, the transformation that is coming with this new kingdom of God. Jesus will be the king. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus will bring this. But it's already in the preaching of John the Baptist, the presence that something new and drastic and different is taking place. So things are afoot. Things are happening and are different because of the preaching of John the Baptist. So that's, in one sense, where the kingdom starts. And it just gives you an idea that the kingdom is a bit different than we normally think of it. And it certainly was present and is now. The next passage, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Flip over in your Bibles a page or so. And I'm going to start up above to give some context for these verses. It says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is, this law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus heals a man who's been crippled. And they're mad. In fact, so mad that they look for a way to kill him in response to what they see as the violation of the Sabbath. These are people who don't have a clue about what it means to have the kingdom of God come among them. So aware of this, verse 15, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. And the reason he warns them is because he's afraid that if they find out who he really is, they may well come and try and make him king. They do that in John chapter 6. There they try and make him king, and he has to kind of leave and doesn't want at all to, to, at this point, take on that role. All of this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering stick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. And in fact, we we hear a lot today about justice, social justice. And Jesus certainly brings a form of justice as he brings the kingdom. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So all of this is new kingdom, new covenant that's taking place. Now look at verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and they said, Could this be the son of David? Meaning, could this be the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can this kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, and then what does the text say, people? 
If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And indeed, it has. That's the point. Jesus says, I am driving out demons by the Spirit of God. And because I am, clearly, the kingdom is here. Something radical and different is new and has come. And so do we live in the age of the kingdom? Well, it was present then. It certainly is present now. John 14. Turn there, please. I had, I had fun. I don't, I don't know if the rest of you, if you just have fun when you're reading the Bible... You're reading along, you get excited about scripture and you're reading something and you haven't seen something that you, or you see something now that you hadn't seen before and all of a sudden you just get excited. But that happens to me all the time. And it happened this week as I was reading John 14. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've read, I've read John before. But I read John 14 this week and I, I was just thinking about these verses and what exactly they mean and how do I sort all this out? And there were just... Thoughts I had I haven't had before, and I want to share some of these with you this morning. I want to start with verse 8. Just to give some context again, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that will, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of all the miracles themselves. And so Jesus is saying, this is who I am. You've got to to believe in me that I'm one with the Father. And then look at verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I've got to tell you, those passages, those verses, sometimes give me trouble. Verse 12 says, if you have faith in me, you're going to be doing what I've been doing. And I just want to ask you this morning, is that the case? Like you think about the things that Jesus did. Are those the things that you do? Are those the things that I do? Like for example, when I read my Bible, I find Jesus healing blind people. I see Jesus raising people from the dead. I see, in one instance, Jesus taking the ear of someone whose ear is cut off and he puts it back on. Are those the kind of things you do? We may think it's a miracle that the flames won. That's not really a miracle. So what's the deal? And then, look at the rest of that verse. He will do, talking about those who believe in him, he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. 
you will? Whatever I ask? You mean these incredible things I could ask and you will do these things? And I wrestle with those words, as I'm sure you do as well. And so I want to ask the question this morning, what makes the greater things that we do greater than the things that Christ does? And, and even as I say that, even as I say the things that I do are greater than the things that Christ does, can I say that? Can I really say that? Like, doesn't that sound quite blasphemous? If I say that the things that I do are greater than the things that Christ does. I don't want to say that. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus says. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus says that, not me. So what is it that makes these things greater? Well, first of all, I don't think it's the quality of the miracle itself. As I said, Jesus raised the dead. Jesus forgave sins. Who can forgive sins except God alone? What could we possibly do that would be greater? And yet that's what Jesus says. And so I wrestled with that this week. And here's my conclusion. The issue of the greatness of the miracles is not the individual miracle itself, but the entire context of the miracle. And what I mean is this. Jesus' personal miracles were at that time actually fairly limited in the scope of their impact. Like when Jesus raised someone from the dead, he raises Jairus' daughter. And who's impacted by that? Jairus and some followers. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with some food, and how many people are are impacted by that? Well, maybe 5,000. And you could add to that a few thousand more. There are people who follow after Jesus, although it's interesting that by the time Christ is crucified, how many people are left? Not very many. And so the influence, even at the point of crucifixion, and even at the point of resurrection, is not at that point at its peak. Instead, I would say that the peak of the impact came later and continues to come. So that before, early on, there were most thousands maybe who were impacted, but now what the church does and what the kingdom does and its impact in our world, something that starts as a grain of mustard seed You tell me the rest. What happens to that grain of mustard seed? It becomes the biggest plant in the whole garden. It's a seedling in the forest, but it rises to become the biggest tree of all. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying, I think, when he says that we're going to do even greater things than what he did. The issue is not, do you raise the dead or not? The issue is, are there thousands, yea, millions of lives that are changed by the gospel of Jesus? Does the presence of the kingdom have the impact in our world that it's supposed to have so that a whole world of evil becomes transformed through the power of Christ who is present within us? 
It's like yeast working through a lump of dough. It's like a crop that produces a hundredfold as the kingdom permeates and works its miracle in the lives of people. And so if that's the case, the answers to prayer that Jesus wishes us to pray for and for him to grant takes on a whole new meaning. We tend to think, well, maybe if I pray, I'll be able to raise the dead. If I pray, maybe I can heal the blind. If I pray, someone around me might get healed. And I'm not saying that can't happen. But what I'm saying is that to think to ourselves, well, I can do those things and Jesus will give me whatever I ask, is to entirely miss the point. The point is that the greatness of the miracle is the expansion of the kingdom. And the ever-expanding influence of God and impact on people's lives. So that millions and generations, thousands of years worth of people are changed through Jesus. And we see the kingdom grow. And in one sense, take over Western society. Because of the power of the kingdom and its progression. To paraphrase Jesus, which is greater to say? Rise and walk or your sins are forgiven. And the point is, they're equally great if at the center of those proclamations is the expansion of the kingdom and the impact that Jesus has on lives everywhere around him. And so that's why Jesus sends you and he sends me out to be witnesses. And he says in Acts chapter 1, I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And that is the thing that is greater, even than the miracles that Jesus performed as the gospel and the kingdom and its impact go into our world and completely transform everything. And we've been given a role here, a task of being partially responsible for that. And so we have to ask the question, what will you do in light of the presence and the power of the Spirit to expand the kingdom in the lives of people? What will you do? What will you do in light of the presence and power of the Spirit to expand the kingdom in the lives of people? You have a responsibility to do something there. And so do I. This week I sat with a friend at lunchtime who was absolutely brokenhearted. And I, I'd hoped that he would be here this morning. He's not here. He wasn't in the first service. I looked for him. He's not here now. I wish he was. Absolutely brokenhearted. Life not at all what he wants. And I wanted to say this to him today. I'll say it to you. I wish he was here so that he could hear it. I wanted to say to him, I wanted to say right now, I want to stop preaching. Like preaching sometimes is a little bit of an act. And I don't mean it really is, but I, you know what I mean. Like I have to get up and I have to do this kind of performance thing a little bit. And I have to try and say something that's a little bit funny so that people will stay with me. Or I have to be a little bit animated 
or something. And right now, I don't want to do any of that. What I want to do is I want to say to this person that God understands your pain. That he wants to heal your hurt. That your sins, believe it or not, are forgiven. That life can be different for you. That becoming a servant of Christ is in fact the answer to what you face in life. And that the source of this is the presence of the king and his kingdom. And that that is the greatest miracle of all. And that all of this can change your future and your present. So that you can become what you want to be now. And in the life to come. Because of the presence and the power of the king and the kingdom. And I want to encourage you to accept Jesus as Lord and king of your life. Responding to him in faith and baptism. Now he's not here. But somebody is. There's one of you at least. There is somebody today who needs to understand who our king is and what the kingdom is all about. And you need to understand the transformative power of the presence of the kingdom of God in your life. You can receive everything that God wants to give you through the presence and power of his kingdom. He wants to transform things for you. He wants life for you to be different. And there's just no reason why it can't be. The gospel is free to all. The kingdom is here. The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The rest of that verse says. And I pray you do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you came into our world wanting to transform everything. And it it began with the preaching of John as he starts telling those around him that you were about there. And how great you are. And we, we sense that, Lord. We know that this morning. How great you are and how wonderful your kingdom is. Father, for every person here, I pray that you would bless them, that they might, that they might catch the fullness of, of your kingdom, the notion that you are king and that you rule and you want to rule in their hearts and you want to rule in our world. You want to transform everything. Work on every one of us, God, and help us to see that and to, to represent it, to be full of that truth and to communicate it to all those around us, especially God, to those who hurt. And so for my friend whom I sat with this week, I pray that you'd bring the gospel into his life this week. And for those that I didn't sit with, God, I pray that you'd bring the gospel into their lives this week. The good news of the kingdom, the good news of your presence, the presence of your spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the option we have to live in you and to see our world transformed. Bring all of that into each one of us this week and help us to catch a vision for what you want to do in our world. We pray through Jesus. Amen.